Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Yes, at camp, um, there's stats at the end. Don't tell the justice of, of what all God did, but God did that and so much more. And so we're thankful for that. I'm thankful to be able to be asked for Pastor Chris to, to get to share with you guys today, so thank you. And um, yeah, I'm excited. And I know camp, um, for those of you who don't know, I don't, I don't know if you don't, I don't know how you would not know, but there was quite kind of the COVID outbreak coming back from camp. We, we brought some Holy Spirit and something else with us coming back. <laughs> and um, yeah, there was, there was I, I guess technically we called it outbreak, it was a lot. And so a lot of uh, myself and a lot of students and family members, I, probably you missed them last week because they were at home and some might still be quarantining but um and I don't want to make light of this because a couple of people got kind of a tough run of the mill with this sickness and COVID and, and it is serious but at the same time I would do it again and at the same time even if it led to a physical death as heart wrenching as hard as that would be seeing eternal life spring up seeing Death resurrected to new life and the fruit of the Spirit. In my mind, yes and amen. And the enemy can attack that and try to tear that down and try to put a negative spin on things. But God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that we're back in the house together, safe, worshiping the Lord. And thank you that we're here today. So, man, if you, hear, if you, have, if you have a relationship with students, ask them what God showed them at camp. Ask them what God's doing in their life. Ask them what God did. We're, we're called to share the testimonies. In Revelation, it says we overcome by the power of the blood, the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, the gospel, and the power of our testimonies. In 1 John it says that, I think it's 1 John 5 that says, if you are in Christ, you have a testimony. If you are a believer that has the Holy Spirit, we have a testimony of what God has done and what God is doing in our life. And so I just want to encourage you, students, with your families and, and friends and relatives and, and relatives, family, friends, Talk with each other. Ask what God's doing because that's, that's for the edification of each other, to share our testimonies, to strengthen each other's faith. But with that being said, camp was awesome, and I'm excited to be here this morning to kind of conclude our Summer of Love series, as Pastor said, to become more like Christ, to love like Christ. And as you already know, today's sermon is called Loving the Lost. But before we begin, I want to give a brief challenge, and I want to pray for two things. First, I want to pray for my wife. She's currently in El Salvador right now, and she's going to El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. And she's doing a medical mission trip with a, kind of a, a, a sister church she was kind of affiliated with back where she lived in Clearwater. And so it's an awesome ministry, and, and they have a really cool model. What they do is they give free health care, but while you're kind of in the, like, application slash registering stage, you're taken into a room and the gospel share with you one-on-one. And after that happens, then you now have access to go and see the medical assistant or nurse or doctor. And I love that because although they're meeting physical needs, it's so that they can meet the real need. Amen? And so she's doing that. So I want to pray for her. She's gone for nine days. It's the longest I've been without her in, you know, 12 months <laughs> since I met her. But <laughs> and so what that means is I have eight and a half days of freedom to not clean, to not do dishes, to, not, to leave laundry on the floor. And then I'll, I have a half a day to, to, to fix it, and she'll never know it. So I'm good. Um, and she didn't have good Wi-Fi, so she won't hear this before then, hopefully. But, uh, <laughs> but I want to pray for her. And secondly, I want to pray for us, our hearts. For those of you in the room, those of you who are listening, whoever 
maybe in the future watches this sermon on Spotify or whatever. Because this morning, in my intellectual mind, in my logical being, I don't think it's that complicated. But I'm reminded that to those that are perishing, I think it says in Corinthians, to those that are perishing, the gospel is foolishness. But to us, it's the glorious hope within us. To those who believe, to those who have been awoken to Christ. Later, I believe this in John, I think chapter 14, it says, only those who the Father calls or draws can come to him. And so as I was reflecting on this, talking about loving the lost and sharing the gospel, I realized that there is nothing I can say whether I want to realize God has given me a gift or a passion for this or not, there is nothing that I can do, I can say, that's going to persuade our hearts to go from death to life. If I went to a seminary, or seminary, yeah, if I went to a cemetery, if God came right now and called, called me to go to a cemetery, who would I bring with me? I wouldn't choose the best communicator. I wouldn't choose who I thought was the prettiest or coolest. I, I, I would rack my brain, but I would choose who I thought was closest to God. If I went to a cemetery and God said, that's, that's your mission, raise someone from the grave right here. I would be baffled, but, I mean, I would choose whoever I thought was closest with the Lord, who had an intimate prayer life with the Lord, and I'd say, maybe, just maybe, if we come together and we, we, we unite our hearts behind this and just pour out our hearts in prayer, just maybe God will move and he'll raise this person from the dead. And that is the same exact way. It's not by words. It's not by persuasion. It's not by understanding. We need the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We need the gospel to be to be awoken in us, to us, because if, it, if it's not a work of the Holy Spirit, we're just as dead as that lady in the cemetery. That's what it says about our spirit. And so this morning, the second thing I want us to pray for before we get into it is that our hearts will be softened to the gospel. I was convicted of this. I had a great speaker over camp who was really interactive with the kids and, you know, inspired me a little bit to use volunteers more on stage to, as visuals, but... Um, he shared the gospel at least once in every message out of like all seven or eight messages. And he said something that I've heard before, and I, I kind of get lazy and forget, but he says, whether it's your first time or a hundredth time, we always need to hear the gospel. That's what it's all about. But in our humanness, typically we, we take it for granted, we become numb to it, we get lazy, like, yeah, 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 I've already heard that, I zone out whenever they start talking about that, I've already got that covered. So I want to pray this morning that our hearts are softened to the gospel and God gives us revelation in a new way. And if you're here and if it's your, maybe it's your first time or maybe you've started coming back to church, you don't need to do better. You don't need to, okay, I'm, I'm going to start reading my Bible more. I'm, I need to start going to church more. And let me define that. You don't need that. What you need is a living real relationship with Jesus and that is why we're here to worship him and to connect and grow in that but but if you're not connected and if, if Jesus has not become real to you yet your first and only step right now is realizing that hey, God I need you to wake me up to this if I don't have it because the Holy Spirit needs to do a work and burn and start to start to kindle your heart right now 
so that you don't leave out of here without knowing you've experienced God and have a real relationship with Jesus. It's not a matter of your church attendance. It's not a matter of your devotional attendance. It's not a matter of whether you cuss or not. (laughs) It's a matter of I need a physical miracle from the supernatural God who transcends all things, who created me to know him so that I might be raised from death to life. And so with that being said, that's the longest intro I've ever had to pray. (laughs) Let's pray for that. And I want to ask that you pray that with me. Jesus, Father, thank you. First, for a godly wife, Father, who reminds me all the time she cares way more about Jesus than me. (laughs) And God, thank you for that. Thank you that she's serving right now. God, I ask that you protect their team, but keep them dangerous. God, if if dangerous situations, sometimes that's when miracles happen, we're at the end of ourselves. Father, I pray that Cynthia gets to the end of herself. The team gets to the end of themselves where they have nothing left to say, God, we need you. If you don't show up, we can't do it. And God, I pray in those moments that you show up in such a powerful way, it changes their lives radically forever and they can't go back the same. Jesus, I pray that, that hearts will be open there to the gospel. They might come needing medical care, but they, they leave with spiritual care, God. Open their hearts to the gospel and bless their works. God, I pray for us here the same thing. Jesus, open our hearts to the gospel in a new way. If we become numb to it and we've grown up in the church, it's so easy, Father. I pray that we could, we could just, you could knock off the rust. You could knock off the blinders we've been wearing. You could open our eyes fully again instead of dimly lit. You could unclog our ears to not be deaf and to hear it clearly with clarity. Our minds that have been darkened by so many things, Father, I pray that you could illuminate it again. And in Jesus' name, Father, if there's someone here who has not received and understood the gospel and started their faithful relationship with you, in Jesus' name, I pray that today is the day. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm kind of going to jump around a lot. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm sure that you do. (laughs) That was too easy. I had to say it. But... I'm kind of going to jump around a lot. If you, I would love it to, if you follow me, if you take notes, but I understand if you can't. I want to, this morning it might be hard to take notes because I might get excited and just kind of rabbit trail. And I have so much information. I, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit's going to lead me on which, one, which part to share. But I want to challenge you if you're taking notes, and it's good that you do. It helps us to remember. Even if you never look at it, it helps me to remember just to write or type something out. Write down what God speaks to you. Because I firmly believe God's going to speak to you this morning. So write down what God speaks to you. Don't worry about catching everything. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellent excellencies, excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, to proclaim his excellencies who call you out of darkness into his marvelous light. First, when we talk about loving the lost, let's talk about What's this marvelous light? Before we even get there, what's this marvelous light? It's the gospel. It's the fact that Jesus came and lived a perfect life without sin. And became, he knew no sin, it says, became sin for us so that we might have life in him. So because we're broken, because we're not perfect, because we're in sin and we're separated from God, Jesus came to redeem that separation and bring us back into a perfect covenant relationship with, with God. That's the gospel. That's the marvelous light that Jesus did that so, and I know we've heard it so many times, but, but, but receive it. Jesus did that so that we could break the chains of addiction, so that we could live life and live it abundantly, so that we don't have to stay in this bad relationship we know we're in since sin. 
so that we don't have to keep looking at these things we know we shouldn't be looking at, so that we don't have to keep drinking in the closet and going way beyond what we know was wise or just, just the addiction in the first place. All these things that we're scared to talk about, all these things that, that you don't want to project, Jesus came so that we don't have to walk in that. Jesus came, the gospel came to meet us in the mud where we are to raise us from death to life so that we may have abundant life. John 17, 3 says, Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that you know me. That we know Jesus. Jesus came, guys, ladies, gentlemen, so that we could be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen race of people for his own possession. He brought us out of that darkness into his marvelous light. So what does that mean? And so how do we love the lost? That's just, that, that's, that's kind of the basis. That's the gospel. How do we love the lost? Answer is actually comically simple. We give them the gospel. We give them the gospel. How do we love the lost? We give them the gospel. What is it that people really need? What is it that, what are they lost from? Why do we even use the word lost? Why do they use the word darkness? Because they're not found lost. Because they're not in light, dark, sin, separation. What do the lost need? They need Jesus. And, and I say this humbly with respect, but also with authority from the scriptures, because it's not my words. What the lost do not need is a new political viewer stance. What the lost need is not a new lifestyle, is not new disciplines, is not a self-help book, is not a new diet or workout plan. What the lost desperately need is they are dead. They need life. We can add stuff to it and talk about lifestyle change and how to grow in that later. But what the lost need is the gospel. And so I've asked a student to come up here. Charlie Cannon, will you come up here? Where is he at? There he is. I've asked a student. Let me grab this. This is my super spiritual backpack that has a lot of stuff in it. Just kidding. It's got like somebody's uh, charger in there. But um, I've asked Charlie to be an example because I know a lot of times I'm a visual learner. And I might not remember what someone said, but I can remember an image and a main point for years if it catches my attention. So let's say, y'all probably heard this before, but someone who is lost and dead, it's like someone who's out in the ocean drowning who doesn't know how to swim, right? So Charlie, on the count of three, I want you to give your best drowning, your dying, not swimming thing. <laughs> All right, guys, on three. One, two, three. <laughs> About five more seconds, a little bit more. We got to sell it. We got to sell it. You're really dying here. You're never going to see your mom and dad again. There, we go. little facial expression. There. We go. <laughs> so if, Char- if Charlie's actually drowning, what if I come right beside him, like, "Hey, man, you actually swim like this." In that moment, if anyone's ever taught swim lessons or done that, that doesn't happen. Hey, hopefully, and I think we do that a lot of times with the gospel. Hopefully, if they watch my life, if I'm just loving. If, if I just stay in my lane and do my stuff well and I'm just obedient and, and serve the Lord in a very safe way, they should see that and naturally that my actions should speak the gospel for themselves. I mean, it, a great theologian once said, always share the gospel when you need to use words. So I don't even really need to use words. If I just live it, he'll know how to swim, right? <laughs> see how crazy that sounds? If he just watches me swim beside him, oh, he should be good. No, I am to go over and give him, the we'll say life jacket is the gospel, slash backpack. I am to give him the life jacket. I am to go over and be intentional and give him the gospel. Because he needs a life jacket. 
That's not the time he needs a swim lesson. That's not the time he needs to watch an Olympic video of Michael Phelps back in the day. And so, thanks, Charles. Let's give him a hand, guys. You can say, we can put it back over there for me. So, how do we love the lost? There's so much depth in this, but at the same time, it's just so simple. We give them the gospel. That's what they need. Every other answer falls secondary and subject to that one point. We give them the gospel. Now, let's talk for a minute. Okay, we give them the gospel. I get it, but how do we do that? And today, I, I'm not going to try to go too much into, like, an evangelism equipping conference. There's times and places for that. I'm not going to try to go too much into, like, here's how you start the conversation. I'm not going to get very many practicals. My prayer leading up this whole, the last two weeks, but really this, this, this week, my prayer leading up is, I feel like God has given me a word from the Holy Spirit for, for this church that we are all to leave here with a personal responsibility and understanding that it is our personal mission to join in to this gospel thing. I want the hearts to be realigned because I think a lot of times they get off track just a little bit. I have, my car's kind of getting older now. And when I let my hand off the wheel, it naturally just pulls to the left a little bit. And I drive on my knee a lot, so sometimes I look up, I'm like, oh gosh. And so, <laughs> just kidding, I don't look up because I'm always looking. But, uh, <laughs> but a lot of times, guys, I think with our hearts, without realizing it, we can focus on so many other things, and we can, our alignment can get off just a little bit on the gospel being the main thing and also our responsibility to the gospel. And so my, my prayer this morning is that our hearts are realigned Realter so that we're back properly. Um, so with that being said, Lord willing, we'll get to some practicals later, but we might not have time for that. So how do we give them the gospel? There's, there's one way. It's how we live. There's one way. It's how we live. Now, under how we live, that consists of what? How we walk, what we do, what we say. Let's, just, let's, let's, let's put it in two parts. How we walk, how we talk. Or what we do, what we say right? A lot of times I think people try to separate that, and I want to tell you that is not biblical. In James it says anything that's not of the Lord, it says it's, it's, it's worldly wisdom. That's demonic from the pit of hell. Hear me, church, because I say this humbly. This is not wisdom or brilliance that Ethan has given. God has revealed this to me through his Holy Spirit. This is scriptural. Giving someone the gospel is both how you walk and how you talk, what you do and what you say. If you leave one exempt, you are not giving them the gospel. I am not called to go yell at someone and guilt them into receiving Jesus with my words and yet be a jerk in my lifestyle. I am also not called to live like Jesus and not use my words because that's actually not living like Jesus. And so the, I'm not going to dwell on this too long because the past eight weeks we've gone through a great summer of love series of how to love and look more like Christ and how he loved so we've already talked about how we walk extensively. And there's so much we still have to unpack in our own lives because I was convicted every week. But the one thing I'm going to say about that is we have to live in a way that people ask why. So before we even get to words, although you can't separate them, you have to live in a way that people ask why. I'm not going to unpack the, the previous you know, two months of sermons, but can people see Jesus in you? That's a lot of our first problems. Is there actual a joy, a, a joyful hope in you that people are like, I want that? We, I was at the gym with my buddy Taylor, and we were 
uh, deadlifting, like 700 pounds. Um, <laughs> just kidding. It was somewhere between 300 and 1,000, so it was a lot. And so <laughs> we were deadlifting, and there was this guy who came up. I think he was like 23, 24 years old, like a military dude. And um, he came up, and some of my conversations started. I think he was asking if we were using, you know, a, a lift right beside him. And he said, no, go ahead. And, he made converse, and somehow he made conversation. I think he was impressed because I think, I think he just thought we were cool because he thought we were strong. That, that happens, especially when I'm with Taylor. He's six foot eight. He's a monster in there. And so a lot of intro conversations happen because they look at him and they're like, dude, you play ball somewhere? And like, they, never, they don't even talk to me. But, <laughs> but eventually I get my foot in the door and I'm just assertive. But so he, you know, something like that happened. And he kind of makes this, this, just kind of a, I mean, I'm not judging him, but this is what happened. He made this vulgar statement about like just getting girls. So There's some pretty girls in the gym. And I had strength because I was in community, first of all, because Taylor was with me. But I was ready to give a defense. You see, in first, where's that? First Peter 3.15. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That was kind of a weird situation. Well, what do you mean give it a defense? He didn't really ask about the hope that's in you. Listen up. I said, actually, man, I said, no, we're both, I said, we're both happily married and like love our, love our wives. And he was really shook by that because he immediately, he felt like super, oh, I, I didn't mean to offend you. And I was like, no, bro. I was like, bro, you are so good. Don't even, I was like, I'm not offended. You're fine, man. I understand. Like you're good, man. I understand how it is. I said, I know what it's like being a guy. And he went and did a set and came back. And once again, he, you could just tell he felt bad. He said, man, I, Man, I, you know, I really didn't mean, I've actually been married and actually my wife, my wife left me. And I, you know, maybe it was for the better. And he kind of went in telling the story and he actually said, I just really didn't mean to offend you. And I said, I said, man, I said, and this is where the defense comes in. Because what he needed to hear was not that marriage is better than you think it is. What he needed to hear is not how to honor women. Hear me. What he needed to hear is somehow I had to get to the gospel. What he needed to hear is that there is eternal life, there is abundant life, there is a life in the presence of God. That's what he needed. A healthy 10-step marriage without Jesus won't fix that. That's what he needed. And so I said, man, I said, I completely understand. I said, it's tough. I said, the world we live in today, man, marriages are falling apart like crazy because we're not living them out how God, intended us for, how God intended for us to live them out. And that led into my buddy Taylor shared the three circles with him. And he realized that, wow, he didn't accept Jesus right then. But he had never actually someone had taken the time to explain. It was only 30 seconds. We're at the gym in between sets. It's, it's, like, it's like real quick conversations here. In 30 seconds, Taylor quickly just explained why Jesus came, why he died, and what that means for us. And he thanked us and got our number. And it's kind of distant after that, but he thanked us and got our number. And he realized, like, it looked like he had never heard the gospel. Or if he, if he had, it had never made sense until right then. Another time I remember, and that's, that's I'm kind of rabbit trailing here, but we have to live in a way someone asks why. Why do you do things this way? And when that moment comes up, there is a, a human response, a sinful response, and there's a spirit response. The human response is, man, I'm just not like that. The spirit response is, it's because of Jesus. There are so many times in my life I have failed and fallen short, and I know, I'm sure you have as well, 
When someone has asked why, and that was a perfect opportunity, God prepared for a divine appointment for you to step into good works. It talks about in Ephesians 2 that we were created, Christ's craftsmanship, his poema, his workmanship, so that we may walk in good works. He created these good works for you to walk and step into to declare the praises of his glory forevermore. Instead of stepping into it, we did this. And we verbally ran away. And that's okay, but I'm saying we, we, as, as believers, we are called to give a defense. I remember I played, I played one year of, of, of college basketball at Coastal Georgia. I was in the locker room. It wasn't a very Christian environment. I'll say that. I was eventually after one guy left the team, I was the only white guy on the team. And the culture, it was, it was me, all the black guys, a heavy culture of rap and trying to get with girls and just going out and partying. And although it wasn't perfect, I had messed up before that, I was trying to be obedient and live, live and surrendered intentional to Christ, missionally minded. And I prayed for opportunities all the time and tried to have conversation here and there. But the locker room was just, it wasn't, you didn't leave there feeling the same way you left when you left church Sunday morning. I'll say that. But finally near the end of the season, I, it's nothing other than God. Someone asked why everybody was in there changing Hey, E, I know you're a Christian and all, but how come you don't, like, go out and party like we do? Or, like, how come we never hear you talk about girls? In that moment, my flesh wanted to say, bro, I'm just not like that. That's just not my thing. I would have used kind of, that's kind of the vernacular I would have used. I could have easily just diffused that in a safe way and not put it back on Jesus. Have y'all felt that before? It's so easy, and I'm right there. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just saying it is so easy. But, but according to 1 Peter, according to what, what the Lord said, we're, we're to be ready to give a defense. And here's what I said, and it wasn't perfect, but I was ready for it because I had been praying for each teammate specifically. And I was ready for that question. And I said, actually, and you see at the end of the verse it says, with gentleness and respect. I said, actually, guys, just know that I don't look down on y'all or judge y'all. I'm not any better. I'm not perfect at all. I mess up all the time. And I actually have messed up. And I'm not pure as far as it comes to women. But God showed me that doesn't satisfy. And Jesus radically changed my life years ago. And I'm just trying to be obedient and grow closer to him. And there is just silence. It wasn't awkward. It was more of a reverence, like you're at a funeral. Just silence for probably like a half a minute. And then eventually some side conversation started and kept going up. I firmly believe that was the Holy Spirit speaking through me. But I was willing and I was prepared. And so one, how do we give the gospel? First, we have to live in a way where we're different enough they can see Christ in us, they ask why. And when they ask why, what do we have to do? We have to share, we have to say it, we have to explain it. Um, I love how I think it's Romans, yes, Romans 10. Let me turn to it. It won't be on the screen. It's just a little extra. A little extra for free. Romans 10, 13 through 17. Listen to this. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who have been, who had, whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher or someone preaching to them? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? 
So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Did y'all catch that? This is the part I really want to drive home today because I think this is the part that's the toughest for us that we struggle with. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. What do we hear? Words, sounds, noises. How will they believe if someone doesn't tell them? Paul says. Believers, Christians, if we don't tell them, who will? Not a non-believer, right? If we don't tell them who will, how do they believe? By hearing. Faith comes through hearing. They have to hear the gospel. At some point, if they see Jesus in you, you have to then explain this is who he is and this is why. And this is how you can begin that relationship too and join into this. And so how do we give the gospel? How to love the lost is simple. It's the gospel. How to give them the gospel, I think logically is simple by how we live, right? How we walk and how we talk, what we do and what we say. But now this is where I want to transition. And I want to do this carefully and respectfully with gentleness. Because some of what I'm about to say may sound controversial to you, may sound unbiblical, but I promise you it's not. I've spent a lot of time, a lot of my life wrestling with this. And I want to ask that a lot of times when we talk about evangelism or sharing the gospel or it being someone's responsibility, a lot of times fear comes up in us. I feel that right now. A lot of times defensiveness comes up in us and we try to justify why it doesn't apply to us. And if anything I've learned is that going to 19 countries, working with three different missions or organizations that accepted all denominations, I feel like I have wrestled with every known theological debate and controversy under the sun from talking with other Christians who believe something this way. It has helped refine my perspective and stand more firm in what Scripture actually says based off what so-and-so says the Bible says. To actually know what Scripture says, it's refined that, but also it's refined me in a big way. It's helped me to be more graceful. It's helped me to realize that I was actually very narrow-minded and judgmental and how I was raised without even knowing it. God had to break things I didn't even know that I did not know. God had to open my perspective to realize I was so judgmental and narrow-minded, especially towards specific topics because that's how my preacher preached growing up, that I added extra assumptions and presumptions to what Scripture said because that's the culture I was in. And I think a lot of times we're guilty of that because it sounds good, because it makes sense. Maybe it's just the easy way out. It helps us justify not actually being obedient and living it out. And so what I'm about to say, I want to cut at the heart of, I think, some lies and some worldly demonic wisdom from the pit of hell that myself included we can, so fall, we can fall so easily into. When it comes to the gospel, we all need it, and we're all called to live it and share it. And I think sometimes we get caught up on Ephesians 4, on 1 Corinthians 12, And we say, that's not my gifting. Or, that's not my personality. I'm just not really a friendly person. I'm not good with words. Or, that's for those who work at church. That's the ones who are actually, they're closer to God, so I know he'll hear their prayers. I'm just just over here trying to just serve behind the scenes. Or, 
I, I, I don't know enough. I, I might make look Jesus worse. It's better I don't say anything. Can y'all, are y'all, are we, are y'all with me this morning, church? Do y'all, y'all understand these lies that we fall into, right? Or that's for them. I'm just called, I'm, uh, you know, we're, we're all the hands and feet in the body of Christ and we're different parts of the body. So my part is over here. So-and-so's is the evangelism part of the mouth. I have thought that before. I have incorrectly and wrongly thought that before. Are you with me? I'm not, I can't be the only one. Because I realize giftings are that. They're a gifting. They're a bonus. They're extra. They're on top. It's for, but giftings are for what? For the equipping of the church. For the edification of the saints. So check this out. The pastor has many gifts. One of them that has really helped equip me is his teaching and how he prepares for sermons. It's helped me be a better preparer. Preparer. It's helped me be a better, more prepared. That's something also how he loves his family. I've met a lot of ministers who have not balanced the tension of ministry to the flock versus ministry to their own very well. And the way he goes through his daughter's dance recitals, uh, cross country, other events, family vacations, prioritizes them. I believe he's a man of his word and I actually see it and want to put it in my life whenever I might be too busy because of ministry one day. And I remember, no, we're called our first ministry to our family. And it actually meant something when he said that because he lived it out. And as he prepares and teaches, I think sitting under Pastor Chris has made me a better teacher. Because you know why? Because his giftings are to help equip me and you. So if anybody is, if, if anybody is, is gifted in the church, it's not for them to, 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 to hold close to their chest and hide and say, when it's my time to shine, I'll come out with it. It is so that we could all have it. Paul talks about pursue these things, pursue these gifts above all. And, and they're, they're dealing with a controversy of tongues and prophecy. And, and they're, trying to, they're being really prideful about it in the church of Corinth. And, and a lot of times we take that out of context and we use that kind of as a stereotype. And then we go to love, but we still conveniently live, leave, leave out a lot of responsibility on ourselves. And so what I want to go back to is if we, if we understand that the giftings are so that, let's, let's just read through Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It says, and he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Let me stop there. Yes, I believe God has not called everyone to be up on stage. It's clear that some are gifted to lead in these areas, to teach in these areas. Right? But wait. Four. Verse 12, the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Let's just stop. I don't think I was given the gift of service. I don't think I was born, whether it was by nature or nurture, supernatural or not, whatever you want to call it. It is hard for me to do stuff behind closed doors where I get no appreciation, where I'm not seen, and there's no attention. God has had to break me at that over and over. But there was a lady named Amy Heitzman who I did the world race with, and she worked there for years where all she did was serve team. All she did was serve, prepare food, cook, clean, do it all over again all summer. It's like 12 hour days and it stinks. Like it's, the, it's, it's, it's janitorial work, but like for 100 plus campers each week, it's a lot of work. And you don't get seen, you don't get recognized. No one knows you're there. 
And I remember going to help out on the serve team, and I did it when I first walked here, like two Octobers in a row, I did it because it was good for my heart. But she had the gift of a servant heart, and she had such an intimacy with the Lord. I saw how she took joy in being obedient in the small things. And she didn't need people to see her because she knew God saw her. She knew by doing this with excellence, that was honoring the Lord, and that's all she cared about. And so you know what happened? I grew in the gift of service. Being around her actually made me more of a servant. It gave me perspective on what it is to have a servant's heart. And the reason I say that is because if evangelism is not your gift, great. It's the same Holy Spirit who gives them all out anyway. There's someone in this church who was meant to exemplify that gift, to teach on that gift so that you might now have it and be, t- and, and be equipped with it. You might not be the person one day preaching on it, teaching on it, but we are all called to be an evangelist because we're all called to give a defense of the hope that's within us. We're all called to join in Christ's work. They asked uh, Jesus and John, he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm about my father's business. Mind the Lord wills. He says, mind the Lord's, my, me and the father's wills are the same. His will and I are one. When we join in Christ, we join about our father's business. He also said in Luke, I think it's 19.10, I've come to seek and save those that are lost. That's the Father's business. I've come so that you may have eternal life. That's the Father's business. We're called to imitate Christ in all things, it says in 1 Corinthians. We're called Ephesians, it later says in that same passage, so we can become like Christ in all things, fully equipped. So if I'm supposed to become like Christ in all things, and he always said, like, I think it's Mark 16, 15. What's the, I think we have the verse up there. Preach. Go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Like I said, creatures, like even dogs and cats, you know. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, for some of you, that was actually really serious. But <laughs> um, God has called us to become like Jesus in all things. And we can't take off half of what he did that's gospel-focused and pretend like we're not, called, we're not called to become like him in that way. If service isn't your thing, you know what? You're called to humble yourself and grow in it. If evangelism isn't your thing, you know what? You're called to humble yourself and grow in it. If discipleship isn't your thing, you're called to humble yourself and grow it. Because as a believer, we're joining in the work of Christ as co-laborers in the gospel, as ambassadors, as messengers of the gospel. The pastor had, I think a couple weeks before the Summer of Love series, calling out the called. There was three callings, a call to salvation, a call to be ministers, then a, a call to vocational ministry. Well, not everyone's called to vocational ministry, but everyone's called to be ministers. That is our identity. That is our calling as a believer. I am a messenger from God to be in the kingdom of heaven and in God's presence to unleash the kingdom everywhere I go. That is my calling. And it actually works better that we're not all called to be vocational. Because if there was 800 active members of FBC and we're all pastors, we take 800 Sundays to rotate and all preach. But we don't reach Glen County. You know how we reach Glen County? Tony Martin, who works... In the car business, I don't know where that name came from, but Tony Martin who works in the signage and knows a lot about cars, he's going to meet people that I will never have conversations with. Ian, who goes to Glen Academy, is going to meet people that Pastor Chris never has conversations with. How do we reach Glen County? Through multiplication, through the spreading of the gospel, through us actually being the church that loves us. How does revival happen? It doesn't happen, I probably believe this, it's not happened and sustained and led by one man. It's by a church 
I'm reading a book now by Mark Lyles that's on the culture of changing your church to a culture of evangelism. It's by a church that has an understanding that we are all called to make disciples, which includes sharing the gospel, to bring people to the faith so they can grow in the faith, to bring more people to the faith and grow in the faith. We are all called to this. So if we want to see revival happen, if we want to see Glen, if we want to see Glen County reached, we've all got to pick up our mantle. We've all got to accept our calling. We've got to come to a place where it's, it's okay, I get it, it's, it's, it's scary. Our defenses right now, our justifications right now, I want to find some loophole of how this does not apply to me. And what I'm trying to say is when we surrender our life and picked up our cross, and he said, pick up your cross and die daily, you now have no more rights. Your life is mine. But he said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it and have abundant life. When we accepted Christ into our hearts, we have picked up his business, his mission, his life, his attributes, his spirit. And we are called on the same mission with him. And I get fired up about this because so many times, and I say this, I hope it's gently, but I'm sure it's passionately, but we like to look at ourselves as exempt from this calling. We like to assume that someone else is going to do it. Where God has placed you in your business, in your, where you eat, where you sleep, where you enjoy, where you relax, and where you work, God has put you there so that people would know Jesus and see Jesus. When I pray God provide us for a place to live when Cynthia and I were getting married, I believe that he put me in Drew Circle in a duplex, not because God could not have had someone pass away who gifted me a mansion on St. Simon's. Of course, our God owns the cattle of a thousand hills and he even owns the hills. Provision is not a, an issue. God put me there because there's people, there's an Indian family to my left, a black family to my, and straight in front of me, and a white family to my right, and college kids all around, and I never see them leave on Sunday morning. From what I see, there's a good chance most of them aren't saved. I don't know, but I'm just using educated guesses. We act like sometimes how God provides, we bless him because we're thinking of material, of I just got this new house or all this provision. Where he puts you, the job he puts you in, the house he puts you in, the place he puts you in, was so that you could live out the gospel and make him known. I can't evangelize the world or Glen County or this community or my neighborhood on my own. You can't either. But imagine if 800 of us took this mission seriously and we got on our knees and we begin to care about the things that God cares about. Side note, if you don't burden and hurt for the lost, that's okay. But let's look in the mirror. It just means you don't care about what God cares about. If we're not broken over this, it means my mind's not heavenly. It's focused right in front of me and worldly. This is a challenge. We were at Philippians in our discipleship group with some men. It says to live as Christ, to die as gain. I was once challenged that if you're ever at a place where you're afraid of death, it's because you're too worldly minded. That challenged some of you to the core. I know I'm, I'm, I'm going over time here, and I'll try to wrap this up. But I want us to be honest with ourselves and look in the mirror and not let theology, lies, giftings get in our way so that we can justify disobeying God. Whether you fall, I've wrestled with predestination versus free will. And I believe it's a, a, a tension of both of God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility. But whether you fall completely on one extreme or the other, 
God didn't call us to wrestle with to figure out the specific answer to that theology. I know that the, it says the Holy Spirit does the work and draws the man, but also I know that he says, hey, we're supposed to water and plant and God brings the growth. And also in, in Romans it says, hey, if no one tells them, how will they know or believe? I know that it's a mix of both. And so instead of getting wrapped up in, in, in a weird theology that helps justify, I don't have to do anything because God's doing the work for me. No, we need to fight and spread the kingdom. God has used us as a, a royal people, a chosen people, a royal nation, a, whole, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God has given us, he has chosen us. If that's your proclivity, he has chosen us so that we might share the gospel. If you are in Christ, you are chosen so that you might be a messenger to share the gospel. I know this, is, this might be tough, and that's why I prayed so much that hearts should be softened and changed. Because God did not call you to be saved, to be still. He didn't call you to rest on a theology that helps you just be content and comfortable with just doing the bare minimum and being a nice neighbor. He called you to a radical life of dying to self even at the sake of martyrdom, even at the sake of maybe you're crucified or persecuted, even if your family's ostracized at school because of it, for the sake of Jesus. That's what he's called us to. And I hope I'm not preaching on deaf ears this morning because I really think this is up to the Lord. I just think we need to take a step back and look through the lie, the smokescreen of the enemy that we so often want to believe because it helps justify we don't have to do it. Um, I have a few quotes I want to share before we wrap up. I love how Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And then Max Stiles, I mentioned him earlier, but he said in his book, have you ever heard someone say evangelism is not my gift? As if that excused him from sharing his faith. That's a kindergarten understanding of evangelism. All Christians are called to share their faith as a point of faithfulness, not gifting, according to Matthew 28, 19. David Platt says, every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. Church, I'm with you. And I want to just get on my knees and show I'm, I'm, I'm humbly trying to figure this out. I don't know if I'm gifted in it or not. I know God's given me a passion for it. But if I... If I am gifted in evangelism and God did place and put me here to work at FBC, to be a part of the family, it was so that you also could be gifted and equipped in evangelism. I'm just really tired of hearing us as believers affirming someone else's gift, not necessarily to encourage them, but as an excuse that I don't have to do it. We are here so that everybody's gifts comes out in fruition. And I say, wow, Josh Britton, the way you worship, the way you actually just desire to sing praises to God, I need to, I need to follow your example. All the gifts should help us in every aspect of Christ to become like that. And I just want us to quit pretending and together just admit. And some of us just need to humble ourselves and repent before the Lord and say, God, I've been making excuses for a long time. But now I, I completely understand that I've been disobedient. And I've been using whatever means necessary to justify it or to not care. 
And so some of us may just, including myself, need to just humble ourselves and repent and say, God, help me. My mother, she would say she's the opposite of evangelism. And we talked about this years ago, and I remember she was working for 10 plus years in, in, the, gift, in the gift shop at the hospital here in Brunswick. And I kept encouraging, encouraging, and finally she came home excited. And, hey, I, I prayed with the lady. I asked her, and, and she did it. God used her. And we talked about, okay, well, if you did it next time, maybe if you bring up that, that might help. Yes, we can get better at bringing it up. Yes, we can get better at maneuvering and using our volume and tone to help set a stage to give a presence for the Spirit to work. But it's the Spirit that does the work. I heard this earlier from Josh, but, and also from, from Greg Wilkes and Smogers this morning. Moses had a stutter, and God used him. And so, one more story, and then we'll close. Um, sorry, I'm running too long. <laughs> Cynthia and I, we went on vacation, and we went to a wedding. And while we were in Denver one of the nights, we stayed with a friend who had an apartment, and they had a hot tub. We're in the hot tub, and there's this Indian girl who gets in the hot tub. And I'm asking where, I went to India for one of my trips. And so I was like, hey, where are you from? I, I went to this part. She went to that part. And India is really big. So every time someone tells me they're from, I have no idea where it's at. But I try to act like I know. And uh, she asked what we did. And eventually it came to, oh, I work as a youth pastor. So, oh, okay. And I could tell by how her response, like, she probably wasn't religious. And I said, yeah, like, so growing up in India, did you grow up, you know, with, what was your religious background? Hinduism? Actually, no, where I was at, there's actually a big Christian and then Catholic kind of region right there where it was believed that Thomas went in his journeys after Christ. And she says, there's actually a big dominant Catholic place where I'm at. But as far as I go, she's like, my family's Catholic, but, you know, I just think religion is used for yada, yada, yada. And I said, Cynthia, and I kind of put her on the spot, but she, we already talked about this in advance because we were prepared. She's willing. So, Cynthia, you grew up Catholic. Why don't you tell her how you experienced that? And she, was ex- and she jumped at it. I was proud. She jumped at it. And she, she did an okay job. <laughs> and I could tell the girl's heart was hardened. And I just prayed a seed was planted. And she talked about it and, and, and all that. And afterwards, I said, hey, that was great. I love your heart that did that. But next time, maybe... If you emphasize more of like, she, she had the religious background, so she understands the form, but not the power. That's what religion is. It's form without power. That's what Jesus is. It's form with power. So she understands the form of it, the religion of it. She doesn't know the relationship of it, the power of Jesus. I said, next time if that happens, I want you to really emphasize and spend your time talking about how you experienced God and what, what it was like when you gave your life to God instead of all this on this end or all that on that end. So okay. Two days later, we're in Los Cabos, all-inclusive. It was beautiful. I was just worried about eating all I could and playing in the beach, you know, that has an awesome shelf there if you've ever been there that is just like a washing machine. And I just love, I love big waves that are scary. And we, we're doing this thing where we're, we're renting something and there's a salesman who comes. And we, you know, we're in this kind of like lobby room where no one else is in there. Actually, someone else is in there on the other side. And he begins talking to us. And somehow it comes up, oh, y'all, you know, Y'all are married, your honeymoon, because we're trying to get a honeymoon price. So we were like abusing that, you know, like, oh yeah, we, we just got married like 10 months ago. COVID made us not have a honeymoon until now. Like, woe is us, you know. And he's like, oh, okay, that's awesome. How'd you get married so fast? And we talked about, well, we both saw we had what we wanted in each other. And so once we knew what we were looking for, it was an easy decision. He's like, what'd you see? Oh, that she loved Jesus? Oh, that he loved Jesus? So, oh, so y'all were like religious? 
Does that mean y'all like, like vote the same? Like he, he said, that. he's like, does that mean you vote the same? And I was like, I mean, we do actually, but it has nothing to do with it. Like <laughs> we, we do, but we actually have a relationship with Jesus. So you're, and I, she, I said, you're here. So you probably have kind of like a Catholic background, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I see that you have a cross necklace. I said, Cynthia, you grew up Catholic. <laughs> Why don't you tell him about how you came into the Lord? And I think she had more confidence because it was her second time, but also because it was in her, her mother tongue, it was in Spanish. And she shared the, the, you know, Jesus with him for 30 minutes. And this dude was just like locked in. And we, we told him to go to Romans 10 and he wrote down Romans 10 and Romans 10, 9 through 13 and about this is what a real relationship means. And I'm still getting better about how do I evangelize someone who's Catholic. I'm, I'm still like a rookie at it. So talk to me later if you have advice. But he said, I'm going to go home and read that and share this with my wife. I've never, this, I've never heard this before. This made sense to me. I didn't know I could talk to God directly. And you don't know Cynthia like I do. But I promise you, she was afraid of sharing but we don't have to know it. We grow in it as trial and error, but I have to trust that I'm the mouthpiece. I'm an ambassador of God that's carrying his spirit. And Acts 1.8 says the spirit will come upon you and give you the words to say as my witness. Because I know all I have to focus on, I don't, I don't have to know all the answers. I don't have to be a, have a master's in apologetics. All I have to know is the understanding of the gospel, good enough to explain it. And hey, here's how Christ has changed and worked in my life. If you're a believer, you can do that. It doesn't have to be pretty. Sometimes I'm really awkward. I'm just like, hey, bro, this is actually really important to me. I've never shared it with you. Can I share it with you? And they're like, share what? Okay, thanks. You know. <laughs> and so I want to give a space to respond right now. I believe every person in this room is called to salvation. And maybe you've been coming to church and you believe in God from a distance, but you've never actually surrendered your heart to God, to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Saved from our sins and given eternal life in heaven with the Lord and life in God's presence here on earth. Man, I don't want to miss that. If your heart's been burning as we've been talking about just the gospel pretty much this morning, I want to ask you, to be bold. If you are ready to surrender your life, I want to celebrate with you. We want to celebrate with you. If you want to pray to receive Jesus and actually be real and put your faith in him, would you stand up right now? ask one more time God gave a picture leading up to this I think was prophetic of hearts that were wrestling and burning in this room that I think God is speaking to I want to ask that when God calls we have to respond he doesn't make us we have to respond but if that's you this morning as a body of Christ we want to welcome you as family would you step into boldness right now and say, just stand up. And that's your way of saying, Jesus, I want to begin my relationship with you.
that's you, stand. Amen. Well, I pray that my, I pray that was for someone online or somewhere else. I pray that every person in this room is a believer. And church, as we close, I just want to commission you. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord, before his word, and not lie to ourselves. We are all on this great commission together to make disciples and to make Jesus known. Let's work together so that Brunswick would know who Jesus is and it would spread to the ends of the earth. Amen.